Hi everyone, and welcome to That Cartoon Podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Tage. This is me, Eliza Thornberry, part of your average family. I got a dad, a mom, and a sister. There is Donnie. We found him. And Darwin? He found us. Oh yeah, about our house. It moves, because we travel all over the world. You see, my dad hosts his nature show, and my mom shoots it. Okay, so we're not that average. And between you and me, something amazing happened. And now I can talk to animals. It's really cool, but totally secret. And you know what? Life's never been the same. In a world of tiny house vloggers and hashtag van life, it's nice to examine a show that just may have sparked that desire to travel the world in a mobile home and see just what adventure and lessons await. It's a show that opened millions of children's eyes to the wonders of the world and the amazing species that inhabit it, and taught fun facts about how different the world works place to place. You guessed it, we are diving into the Nickelodeon classic, The Wild Thornberries. Fuck yeah. Joining us today is our lovely producer, Francisca Zapata. Fran, you want to say hi? Hello. I'm not that lovely. So as always, before we talk about the episodes we watched, let's dive into some background for the show. Um, so the intro really sums it up, honestly, but essentially the show follows Eliza Thornberry, who has been granted the gift of speaking to animals by a shaman she had saved from a trap while he was in the shape of a boar. She travels the globe in her family's RV with her nature documentarian father, Nigel Thornberry, videographer mother, Marianne Thornberry, angsty sister, Debbie, adopted wild child slash brother, Donnie, and their jean short wearing chimpanzee, Darwin. So a little bit of historical context here. The show was created by Arlene Klasky, Gabor Chupo, Steve Pepoon, David Silverman, and Steven Sestarstik, working for animation production company Klasky Chupo. This was the third Nicktoon that Klasky Chupo had gotten on the air, the other two being Rugrats and Ah! Real Monsters, another two banger classics. Though ending up on Nickelodeon, it was originally pitched to Fox as an adult animated comedy called Nigel Thornberry's Animal World but was ultimately rejected before being picked up by Nickelodeon and retooled to make Eliza the star of the show. I don't know about anyone else, but I would have loved to see Nigel Thornberry's Animal World. You know, keeping Tim Curry, of course. I don't agree. I think it would have been some weird fucking Beavis and Butthead amalgamation where it was just going to be Tim Curry, but also he's Beavis and Butthead. Like, Watching I think have sex. It, I think it would have been potentially hilarious, but I am still happy with what we got. You know, I'm happy with it. Um, I think it would have sucked, honestly. I think it would have been like a one or two season show, and no, it wouldn't been underappreciated. So I'm glad it didn't turn out that way. I'm glad it was a kids show, and I'm glad Eliza was the main character. Yeah, I, I think it ended think, up where it was supposed to. I don't think Tim Curry would have done it. If it was an adult, like, animated show for Fox. I could also see Tim Curry not doing it if it was for Fox. 
Yeah. Uh, just some some lowbrow adult animated show. It maybe maybe all the rejection and everything, it kind of shaped into being a better show. And also having to work within the family friendly guidelines. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good point, Fran. Terrible point, Kyle. Okay. Now, let's move on to a little fun factoid here. A little fun fact. A little fun fact. Uh, So, when airing the two-part finale, Nickelodeon decided to air the second part of the finale one year after the first, and they did very little advertising for it. It was definitely kind of a snub from Nickelodeon there. I wonder why they decided to do that. Yeah, so that's... I wish we uh, had could have gotten someone um, for that worked on it so that we could see what the drama was because I also noticed that seasons four and five had like six and eight episodes whereas seasons one two and three had over 20 each of them for this show there were 91 episodes over five seasons an animated feature film and there was also a crossover film with the Rugrats and Rugrats Gone Wild uh, so the show ran September 1st, 1998 till June 11th, 2004. It doesn't seem the like network. a lot of time to get through 91, 91 episodes, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Six and years. also like the yeah. fact that it like it went over 2000s, it all it always seems some so weird for me. Like I yeah. feel like it's like the most popular time is definitely like late like 90s. I don't remember yeah. what what was I doing in the early two thousands. Like what was happening? Why did I not watch the whole thing, <laughs> or did I? The the um, last two seasons were like like Kyle said, really short. So you might have, and you just like didn't realize that you would watch them. Just didn't even realize. That's so sad. I really love this show. Because it was like. Like, wow, they are doing this. They're, like, traveling the world, and they're... And the jobs are so cool. Like, the fact that he is... Like, the mom is a cinematographer, that's so fucking badass. Yeah, and I... So, watching as a kid, I always noticed um, Debbie. Debbie always seemed to have, like, schoolwork from the mysterious, like, mobile school that she went to. Well, she was home-educated. They both were. Yeah, but like it always seemed like Eliza didn't have schoolwork, and Debbie was always the one that was just stuck doing schoolwork. <laughs> like every episode, Debbie like Eliza's out doing animal adventures, and Debbie's like, "I have to do homework." I think <laughs> it was just an excuse to not have to go in the outside, because she's a little bit like a like a grunge girl. Like, I mean, I was a big fan of Debbie. I think it's implied that Eliza's, like, always just doing her schoolwork super fast and all that because she's a little nerdy know-it-all, so she probably just is always just finishing up her work and Debbie's just, like, not doing it until last minute. Yeah, just dragging ass. But I remember every time Debbie saying, oh, I have homework, she would just, like, lay on the bed, open a magazine, and put her headphones on. So I think it was just an excuse to not go on adventures. <laughs> There were definitely some excuse going on, for sure. At least some level. I mean, she's a goth girl on the inside. Uh, so, the so voice actors for this show. We've got some, some pretty big names here, obviously. We already uh, mentioned at least one of them. Uh, so, Eliza was voiced by Lacey Chabert. Um, other selected works that she has done. 
American Tale Treasure of Manhattan Island and the other American Tale straight to video movie. Um, she was in the Gargoyles um, animated show, All Real Monsters, same production company, and most famously, she was in Mean Girls as. Oh, so um, she played. So she plays Gretchen Wieners. Gretchen Wieners, which is one of the three like main girls. She's the brunette chick. Yeah, the one whose hair is so big because it's filled with secrets. Really? <laughs> no, but the one of the characters in the movie says that at one point. Um, so, moving on, moving on. Nigel Thornberry, voiced by the legendary Tim Curry. Famous for countless things, but just to name a few. The original It, he was Pennywise the Clown. Fern Gully, he was the... The antagonist, like, um, pollution monster. Rocky Horror Picture Show, he's the titular character. Um, Home Alone 2, he is the evil concierge of the hotel. And just many other things he has done. Many otters. Many otters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like we it's like we don't even have to explain who Tim Curry is. Yeah. Like he, we, everybody knows. <laughs> and his, Tim Curry. <laughs> his most famous role as Long John Silver in Muppets Treasure Island. Absolutely. Absolutely. He kills it in that fucking movie. I love those early uh, Muppets movies. The Muppets movies need to make a resurgence and not Muppets Take New York. I will die on that hill. I want old Muppets movies back. That's the yeah, campaign. Um, that's the campaign I, I'm running on this year. I, I enjoyed the first remake with Jason um, Siegel, but then the second one, Most Wanted, was not the biggest fan. Uh, so moving on, Marianne Thornberry, the mother uh, and videographer, was voiced by Jodie Carlisle. Um, this is her most notable role, but she has been featured in a lot of other things. Um, some small show, uh, some small roles across many shows as well as providing her talents to six video games, my favorite of which was in uh, Dishonored. Well, but one of those small roles was in Avatar The Last Airbender. FYI. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so she had a lot of small bit roles. A lot of times it, it was, her credit was... Additional you know, voices. By, like bystander number one or like nice nurse. Mm-hmm. Go Jody. Yeah, she's killing it. I mean, she stays working, so that's great. I've heard her name... Like, before, for some reason. I just don't know why. So, moving right along. Moving right along. Okay, so we are going on to Donnie, the wild child. Voiced by Flea. Um, You may know him as the naked bassist and uh, one of the co-founders of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. What a a weird, like, (laughs) what a weird time. What a weird flex. Yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, uh, you know the, the kid with cheetah shorts that's just like, blah, 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 blah. that's me, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, you I know think the... it matches him so much also. It does. Yeah. And there's definitely people out there that like have no, they've never listened to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but they do know who Donnie from the Wild Thornberries is. So like, what a Absolutely. weird existence to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's covering a lot of bases. Do you think like he like he if he ever met somebody, and they asked for his autograph and he thought they were gonna like hand him a record and it's just like a picture of Donnie and he had to have that moment. That has absolutely happened. There's no <laughs> way it hasn't. <laughs> like some diehard Red Hot Chili Peppers fan that is also a Thornberries fan. 
definitely out there. No, no, no. I mean someone who has no, like, care, oh. doesn't care about the Red Hot Chili Peppers at all. And it's just like, oh my god, he's it's Donnie from the Wild Thornberries. So, moving on from Mr. Donnie, we're going to Debbie, um, Fran's favorite. Uh, she's voiced by Danielle Harris. Uh, Harris is a member of the Fangoria Hall of Fame for her multiple contri- contributions to horror films. Fuck yeah. She has also starred in other uh, in other video games and films, such as some other classics from the 80s. Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. <laughs> the, um, the Last Boy Scout and Free Willy. Um, she is definitely a scream queen with appearances in popular horror flicks like the majority of the Halloween films after the, the 90s. It's crazy. I've never seen any of the movies that you just said. <laughs> any of them. Well, great. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've only seen them because my mom is a big old 80s nut. Yeah. Well, I've seen the Halloween movies. And yeah, part of why Debbie is my favorite is because she's voiced by Danielle Harris. And I fucking love her. I fucking love that she is a horror queen. Yeah, she's in the Fangoria Hall of Fame. I mean, what what yeah. more do you want? And I can definitely see Debbie growing up into being like a scream queen. Oh, totally. Debbie would totally become a scream queen. I could see it. <laughs> um, and then moving on to the last but not least member of the bunch, uh, Darwin. Voiced by Tom Kane, who has done all sorts of voices for most of the shows of your childhood. Uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Star Wars, Clone Wars, Robot Chicken, Powerpuff Girls. And he did the voice of Admiral Akbar in The Last Jedi. Yeah, he took over that role from, uh, God, what was his name? Keith, like Brett Kaiser or something? Yeah, he, he uh, I didn't know the first guy, but I know that he that Tom Kane took it over in The Last Jedi. Yeah, the the actor who's originally at Admiral Akbar, whose name escapes me right now. Um I think he like died in 2005 or something at the age of 93, so nice long life. Yeah, he he, he was living. Eric Eric Bowserfeld, I was super off. Bowserfeld. That's yeah. a cool name. It is a cool name. Seems like a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. Tom Tom Kane has done everything under the sun as far as voice acting is concerned. He, yeah, he is a titan. I think he was Yoda and... He was Yoda. He was Yoda in the Star Wars Clone Wars. Was he also Admiral Yalaran? Yes, he was. That's, and uh, I think he also did Bubbles in the Powerpuff Girls. No. <laughs> <laughs> The range on this guy. <laughs> it's, it's wild. <laughs> um, so, th- this show, this was the very first Nicktoon to treat children with a bit more respect in terms of their attention spans, meaning it was the first Nicktoon to produce exclusively 22-minute episode runtimes as opposed to the network standard of the time of having two 11-minute episodes squeezed into one runtime. This show really broke new ground with the conversations it was able to open up about with its robust, for the time, running length. After focus groups revealed that children were interested in stories that dealt with the parent-child relationship head-on rather than focusing on the lives of the youth, Nickelodeon decided to break their rule against featuring adults in their Nicktoons. That's great. 
Actually, I do recall Mr. Nigel being very kind of like he wanted to do things with with his kids and he wanted and he always took these little times to give funny tips about the animals and the location that they were and he will play board games with them. Yeah, even like in one of the episodes, like they're running off and he's like, if you run into quicksand, remember, prepare. And it comes into handy. <laughs> he's a good dad and he always, he does take the time like when Deb is feeling insecure, she'll, she'll he'll take the time to be like, hey, yeah, it's okay. We, Buck we up. All, we all know that Marianne favors Eliza and hates Deborah. Yeah. It's, it's clear. Nigel's, it's Nigel's definitely more of a Deborah stan. Yeah. For sure. And, and uh, Marianne's always be. taking Eliza out. But also, Debbie is a teenager, and, and like there's nothing scarier than a teenager girl. So, like, I can assume, like, based on their personalities, because Marianne is chill, but when she loses it, she loses it hard. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Mr. Nigel is, like, a more chill guy. He's, always. like, always, always chill. And there's, like, unspoken agreement of, like, okay, you deal with the crazy teenager. I'll deal with Eliza. Yeah, like, uh, like Nigel's literally just, like, sometimes, like, I, I remember a clip of him, like, he has, like, part of his leg is being, like, chewed on by an animal. And he's just like, get the camera. And it's just like, yeah, dude, you should be worried. <laughs> Um, so, you know, with, with all that craziness in mind, let's jump into the episodes that we watched for this one. Our first episode was Blood Sisters. Tish, take it away. Hey, cool. So, uh, Blood Sisters, uh, this was, like, one of two Halloween episodes, and for whatever reason, this is the episode that I always remember the most. Um, according to IMDb, it's a season one, episode 12 episode. Um, it originally aired in October 27th, 1998, so right around the time for Halloween. Um, it was written by uh, Arlene Klasky, uh, Gabor Chupo, and uh, Steve Papoon. Uh, this Halloween episode, it sees the family venturing out, I believe they're near Cusco in Peru, to the castle home of Marianne's former uh, college professor. Dr. Spinoza. Uh, The only things that we know about Dr. Spinoza is that, one, he's the world's foremost expert on vampire bats, and that, two, he is sexy as fuck. Those are the things we know about Dr. Spinoza. Marianne had, and apparently still has, a huge crush on him, uh, which she keeps telling Nigel about. She kind of chides him about it before they meet him. Um, However, when we do finally meet the professor, he is an ugly hunchback who very clearly believes that he's a vampire. Um, He both is hiding it and then like also not hiding. He's like, look at how my, um, I'm doing like a a Count Chocula voice for some reason, but that's not what he sounds like. I can't even do his voice because he's got like this weird Peruvian lisp, which I think is racist for me to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he'll be like see how my reflection doesn't uh, show in the mirror and I just like well that's because you're not wearing your glasses and he goes oh okay <laughs> um, while the parents are dealing with this like vamp nose guy 
the children, they're engaging in this prank war between themselves that just continues to escalate uh, until they ultimately, they like fall down a trap door in the castle, which wild that these children are completely unattended, which is a theme of this show, but they're completely unattended on the top of a castle in a very not safe mountain range. There's no, there's no railings. It's literally just sheer drops everywhere. And they're just like, bye kids, have fun. In this castle that apparently nobody else lives at except for Dr. Spinoza. They fall down this secret passageway um, and end up in this cave where they find the real Dr. Spinoza who had been tied up by the hunchback whose real name I don't remember, but they call him El Gordito, which I think just means the fatty. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, he says that, that he's the village idiot. Yeah, he's the village idiot that tied him up to assume his identity, and he's just been watching too many uh, horror movies on satellite TV. And apparently everyone's just cool with that, that this guy is just committing felonies, tying people up in caves and assuming their identities. Dr. Spinoza's pretty cool about it and everyone's just like, ha ha ha. And they just they just go about their day. That's basically the end of the episode. Although Nigel does say to Marianne once the real Spinoza comes out, he's like, damn. You, he, you were right, he is handsome. He's like, all right. Because he also has a giant nose just like Nigel. He's like, wow. Yeah, you're right, he's, he's hot. Yeah. You're and right. <laughs> everyone in this show looks super weird. Like, even the hot characters, I guess. So, I, looking at Dr. Spinoza, I'm like, this guy's, like, balding. He's got a huge nose and a weird chin. But, like, hey, to each his own, I guess. To each his own. And it, it ends with uh, the hunchback watching his satellite TV, watching an episode of uh, Nigel's show and starting to mimic his voice. Yeah. Hello. I'm Nigel Thornberry. <laughs> Boom, we're done. Print it. You know what's sad though that I was looking here and the Thornberries were in South America a bunch, mm-hmm. but they were not in Chile. They never went to Chile. That's no. awful. Oh, that... I'm I'm Chilean, so that's why I'm looking around. Well, obviously, yeah, there's no so the animals listeners. in Chile. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we have stray dogs. Like. Yeah, they could have done an episode about that. And we have the chupacabra. So the the next episode is one of mine, guys. Uh, also revolves around pranks, funny enough. Uh, it's April Fool's Day. It is a season three, episode 18, originally aired on April 1st. Go figure, 2001. Um, written by Jeff Astroff, Gabor Chupo, and Steven Sostarsik. In this episode... Eliza wakes up to a prank from her mother, just water glasses all over her floor. This signifies that April Fool's Day and all sorts of shenanigans have begun. The only thing standing in the way of Eliza enjoying this fun day with her mother is that her cousin Tyler is visiting and wants in on the action. The pranks escalate from Tyler calling a vine a snake, Marianne finding a pterodactyl tooth, and eventually to the point of Eliza building a Rube Goldbergian machine from different parts of nature, as one does. 
So yeah, while all of this pranking is going on, there is a B storyline, of course. Um, just a few yards away, Nigel and Debbie, they are staying back at the Comvi, uh, doing physical education exercises for for Debbie's schoolwork. It, it makes Debbie feel self-conscious, to say the least. Deb is not the kind of kid that would like physical education class yeah um she's feeling very self-conscious but this does ultimately lead to a very tender moment where uh, nigel covers for her in the end because she was making strange sounds while exercising and he was like oh no it was it was all an april fool's joke <laughs> um, what do you mean strange sounds what does that mean can you describe the sounds so it was like on the other side of a bush and you could see like her hair like jumping back and forth and she I can't describe the sounds, but it was just weird sounds. She was making weird sounds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um Somehow so we, now it sounds worse now that Deb now that like now that Deb had to like sit in the bush and make these weird sounds, like now I'm wondering <laughs> what we're implying. No inappropriate sounds, guys. It's just exercising sounds well now you've opened, you've opened the door which could now. also be inappropriate yeah. now we gotta talk about the pseudo-sexual undertones of wild thornberries okay so uh moving on uh, there is no sex in the wild thornberries just so everyone knows this is <laughs> no this is the, one of the most pg shows on nickelodeon honestly uh it is one of the more edutainment shows there is so let's cut back to the prank fest happening just a few meters away. You have Tyler and Eliza escalating things to the point of both of them falling into quicksand. Uh, now, if this isn't bad enough, a lion shows up, ready to feast on them if they were to escape. So they start to helplessly call, but Marianne, you know, falls on deaf ears because Marianne's been setting up an awesome prank all day. That pterodactyl tooth, turns out it was fake. Who knew? Who knew? And so she has a drone that she has dressed up as a pterodactyl that she is planning to use to freak them out and make them think that pterodactyls still live. Um, so the prank ends up being a complete dud because Eliza and Tyler are fighting for their <laughs> lives. Um, so, like, Marianne's, like, coming up. She's like, oh, I got you, I got you. And then she runs up and they're just, like, drowning in quicksand. Um, so Marianne goes to help them, but before she goes to help them, she makes sure to ask, this isn't a prank, is it? Like, they're drowning in quicksand. She wants to make sure that she's not being pranked. She actively stops pulling for, like, a second. Yeah. (laughs) The two are saved, and an important lesson about limits is learned. You don't want to go too far. Can we talk about how that lion just disappears and it's just not apparently not an issue anymore yeah yeah um it may have seemed like by me not talking about the lion uh that i forgot about no the lion does disappear it just sort of shows up as a threat and then disappears without a word well without a roar i guess yeah they're just running around and they're still like after they pull them out of the quicksand you you'd think they'd be like Oh, by the way, Mom, Dad, and Debbie and Dottie, who are now also here for some reason, there's, like, a lion real close. We should probably leave. No. No one talks about the active danger that's happening. This show was part of the uh, 
the ongoing theme of the 90s that quicksand is always just going to be like an active threat for children. <laughs> Honestly, I think Wild Thornberries was one of the key proponents telling people that there's a lot of quicksand out in the world. Um, I would say that the next episode we watched, another Tiege one, is where I learned the most info of all of these. It's called uh, Chimp Off the Old Block. Uh, it's a season two episode, episode seven, I believe. Aired August 25th, 1999. And it's also written by Steve Papoon, Jeff Astroff, and Gabor Chupo. Um, in this episode, Eliza coerces Darwin into bringing her to like a chimp compound or sanctuary, like just an area where a bunch of chimps are. Um, Darwin's hesitant. He doesn't want to do it. Um, because Eliza, as I've come to learn from rewatching this show, is literally the fucking worst and is constantly getting him and other people that are around her either almost arrested or killed. They're just, she's just constantly committing crimes or almost getting eaten. So Darwin's trying to help her navigate through the chimp world. Um, but the ever present Karen inside of Eliza comes to the surface and continues to belittle Darwin's attempts to teach her about chimp culture, um, like the insufferable know-it-all that Eliza actually is. Because, you know, who... She could just talk to animals, but Darwin's an actual chimp. What does he fucking know about chimps? Fucking hate Eliza. This show... This this episode and this rewatch made me realize I fucking hate Eliza Thornberry. Wow. <laughs> Eliza Thornberry is that kid that, that we all coming. knew that we never liked. You were chill with Eliza until now. <laughs> this this episode this episode really brought out the worst of Eliza. She, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> she's such a dick to Darwin throughout. Like, uh, like so condescending to him. But like, bro, he is a chimp. And honestly, not just this episode. She is a jerk to Darwin. She's not a good friend to Darwin. <laughs> no, she's a. She's the worst. Um, she's that kid that you know that you knew in like. Uh, in elementary school that either A, was always, like, correcting minor things that you said that weren't accurate, that weren't, like, relevant to the conversation. She was just an um-actually person. Also, the person that told the teacher that she forgot to pick up the homework. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. That's Eliza Thornberry. Didn't we have homework today? Yeah. Eliza doesn't learn. No. No. (laughs) <laughs> I will I will say that this one chimp off the old block was my favorite of the four that we watched. Um, it it was pretty cool to see the you know the social structure of the chimps and mm-hmm. because usually Eliza can just like talk to the animals and get her way into the group and figure shit out but like it was cool to see a set of animals that actually have a society and she had to you yeah know, she had to work on it. <laughs> chimps are very sm- I mean not that other animals don't have worth and merit but like chimps are yeah, very Yeah, let's not smart. offend. Let's not offend other animals. That are listening, yeah. But chimps are very smart. They have very complicated social hierarchies. And you think that Eliza would know the bare minimum. Do your research, Eliza. Uh so so my my final episode um was Dragging Me Along, um, Season 3, Episode 1, originally aired on September 12th, 2000. Written by Jeff Astroff, Gabor Chupo, and Arlene Klasky. 
Um, so this one, it's uh, Eliza and her family. They arrive at the Great Wall of China. Uh, Eliza is super excited to meet up with her pen pal Ling just before her village celebrates an, an awesome kite festival. One that Ling's grandfather plans to show off his new giant dragon and win first prize. Um, so Eliza, while they are in the, fa- the grandfather's kite shop, um, she hears a familiar cry for help as she sees her baby panda friend, Shisho, being taken away in a cage with his mother. She immediately thinks they have been poached. Thus, Eliza, Ling, and Darwin set out to free the pandas from the alleged poacher. They steal the grandfather's dragon that he has spent a lot of time working on and a bike and chase the alleged poacher through the kite festival in a wild fashion. Once they finally catch up and set the pandas free, it turns out to be a big misunderstanding as the alleged poacher was actually a world-renowned conservationist who had saved the pandas from a bamboo fire. And the baby panda just didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, You know, it's another good example of Eliza kind of jumping to some conclusions here. Uh, so we do have, since uh, we, we didn't, we did not secure an interview for this one, but our producer decided to watch a secret episode. So she is going to talk about It's literally secret. It's literally secret. She wrote it in white in our script. <laughs> so we can't read it unless we highlight it. Yeah, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I watched Queen of Denial. Mm-hmm. Um, this is episode six of season three. And it was aired in October of 2000. It'll listen to me. Um, the name actually alludes to actually Cleopatra. The family was visiting Egypt. Mm-hmm. And um, so Cleopatra was called the Queen of Denial because back in history, you know, when, when August from Rome took her land, she was like, no, this didn't happen. I'm just going to kill myself. So she pretty much never, you know was able to to say oh yeah i'm actually defeated um yeah so the family is visiting egypt and um this is one of the episodes where tyler is visiting tyler is um eliza's and debbie's cousin Mm -hmm. and this is the fifth episode that we see him uh now tyler is kind of a brat just like eliza they're both like know-it-alls so at some point you know they're playing like this do you know historical board game and they're both fighting um they're both fighting to see who who is right i love debbie on this episode because she's such a teenager she's all the time just uh kind of like doing her own thing and at some point she starts thinking that she has royal heritage from cleopatra so she dyes her hair black and she's just so funny <laughs> about the whole thing. And she's just ignoring the entire family, but she's low-key very interested about all the Cleopatra history that the kids are talking about. Um, so at some point, Eliza and Tyler, the cousin, decide to go explore Egypt. And of course, Eliza is like, I want to do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. I'm the boss of the... of, of of the whole adventure. And then she starts getting them in all kinds of trouble, obviously. 
One of them being she kind of like denies water from Tyler, which is insane to do in the desert. <laughs> and she sees these oases and she's like, oh my God, let's just dive in. And it wasn't obviously water. It was just a mirage. So she she brings up this conversation to Darwin and she's like, Tyler is such a know-it-all. He always wants to do whatever he wants. And he says I'm bossy. And Darwin was like, bossy? You? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> so Eliza, to kind of like prove that she's not bossy, she um, starts doing everything Tyler says. So everybody's shocked at this, Darwin and Tyler, that she's asking, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? So they decide to go explore per Tyler's. And they end up falling into this sand hole, into like this secret uh, temple. Obviously, Tyler, like I said, is also a know-it-all. So he's also like, I am right. I can read the hieroglyphics. And this cat is telling me to go here. Uh, so, so he's obviously wrong because none of them are listening to each other. And at some point, um, a cat shows up and... Obviously, this is Eliza's time to shine because she can speak to the cat. And the cat ended up telling her that this is actually her ancestor's tomb. So the whole thing kind of goes from there. And she's like, also, your cousin is like in big danger. You should warn him not to go that direction. Like only rats survive on that direction. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to warn Tyler and Tyler obviously doesn't listen. And then they get into, they they fall somehow into another sand hole. You're right. Like how many quicksand and sand holes are all around the show? Yeah. It's just, it's a common trope, but it was was everywhere back then for some reason. Especially the thornberries. Especially. Well, it's such an easy, it's such an easy thing to just bring in like danger, quicksand. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. How could we make them mean they sand? <laughs> Lion. <laughs> yeah. Sand. And someone's like, slow? No. Quick. <laughs> Mountain? No. Hole. Hole. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> anyway, so they fall into yet a second sand hole. Into even a deeper part of the temple. <laughs> they should definitely be dead. <laughs> but, yeah. So no, Tyler yeah. is like, oh yeah, I'm obviously like I've saved your life twice already or something like that. I am the I am the hero of the story. Let me pull this this plank or whatever. It turns out the plank activated walls that come in together and are about to crash them. They activated the trap card. Yeah, so they're in, they are in imminent danger, and they're still there like, you brought us here, this is your fault, blah, blah, blah. And Eliza is like, oh, I see a string, I'm going to pull it, and I'm going to save everybody, because I'm the hero of the story. And she releases, like, freaking arrows pointing at them as the wall closes into them. <laughs> so this is like a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old in this situation, and a chimpanzee. So, like, it's not ideal. It could be better. This situation could be definitely better. So they decide that it will get better if they work together as a team. Mm-hmm. So yet they find another sand hole. 
No. This one has a lid. <laughs> Swear. <laughs> this sand hole is like designed though to be a sand hole. So they all jump into the sand hole, saving themselves from the arrows and the crashing walls. And boom, it cuts. In the meantime, Debbie is kind of like in this <laughs> in this trip of becoming Cleopatra. And she's forcing um, Donnie to kind of like take footage of her. And she's like, this is me. I have royal heritage. So, so. And then a sandstorm's coming in. Where are the parents? The parents are in the middle of the desert on camels doing their jobs. Sandstorm comes in. And then Eliza and Tyler are trapped in this room and they see all the sand coming into the room. It's a sandfall. So Eliza's like, we need to get out of here. And Tyler's like, but there's mommies. So the whole thing is just very <laughs> stressful. <laughs> I'm sorry, the way you said mummies was so funny because it sounded like you said, but there's mommies. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I Mommies are here. There are mommies everywhere. Yeah. There's mommies and daddies. Yeah. So Eliza's like, we really need to get out of here, bro. Like, don't you see there's sand coming in the room and we are in imminent death thread? So Tyler's like, I guess I'm going to have to leave the mommy. <laughs> so... He starts climbing the sandfall and he's sleeping away. He cannot do it. But then there goes Eliza's helping hand. And they are finally a freaking team of brats. So they go out and obviously like the mm -hmm. sandstorm passes immediately. Just very conveniently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's it. The lesson is them working as a fucking team. When and when in reality a lesson should be, don't go exploring the desert alone. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that all the time. Like, why is Debbie left with Donnie alone? First of all, mm -hmm. she they always send her to babysit Donnie, and like, no wonder why she's freaking miserable. That was her yeah. main role. Well, it's it's wild that like Eliza, who's what ten, I think. And Tyler, who's 12, they just are allowed to just roam free. Yeah. <laughs> and in in a foreign country, there's no way that they speak Arabic. <laughs> right? No way. No way. And they go to the market and they do all kinds of things. It's just wild. Yeah. It, yeah, the parents aren't very attentive, that's for sure. I mean, in the, in the chimpanzee episode, they... They go, the family goes on a tour, and they're like, what about Eliza? And they're like, oh, she's hanging out with the chimps all day. She'll be fine. Yeah. No one cares. And it's like, oh, she's hanging out with the chimps. She'll be fine. I feel like half the time in this show, they have no idea the danger that their youngest daughter is in most <laughs> of the time. We said yeah. that. Like, we said they were good parents. They're terrible parents. <laughs> I guess. They teach good lessons, but yeah, they give their kids too much freedom. Yeah. Yeah, but like, think about the 90s. I remember going out, playing the streets the whole day until it was dark time. And then suddenly my mom would like remember that she has a daughter outside. And she's like, oh yeah, time to come back. But and I was getting all kinds of michivis and like sand holes throughout the day. Yeah, but you were in Chile, right? <laughs> During all that? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I'm one, dangerous. Bro. The one place that they didn't go because there's no interesting... The one fucking place. There's no interesting, dangerous things in Chile. It was way too safe for them to go there. I was there, so that makes it very dangerous. Well, they didn't want to be there at the same time as you. They were like, Eliza <laughs> won't like, survive this. I really loved this show when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. And I feel like it definitely inspired at least a little bit of like wanting to go around and and like get an rv and travel around and shit like that and being able to talk to animals you know yeah of course i can do that all the time now <laughs> talk to animals all the time huh yeah well they don't talk back yeah that's the they thing. never talk back but i can i can talk to them i can talk <laughs> yeah one of these days yeah. they're going to that's when there's an issue yeah this podcast is produced by Franzapata and Undercover Pod Network. Our hosts are Kyle Frazier and Teej Singh. Audio editing by Kyle Frazier. Research by Kyle Frazier, Teej Singh, and Franzapata. Story editing by Kyle Frazier, Teej Singh, and Franzapata. Make sure you subscribe if you like what we have going on and stay updated on new releases. We release a new episode every other Friday. You can find our podcast on most major platforms, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Audible, and if you're feeling tipsy and want to help us get some nice ice-cold chocolate milk, give some love at patreon.com slash thatcartoonpodcast. Also, we'll be sending special gadgets to our patrons, from shoutouts to exclusive stickers, swag, and even some Patreon-exclusive content. See you on the next episode of That Cartoon Podcast.